This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Auto Repair Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Walker, and I have a very special guest with me today, Malin Newton. And before I get too far in, I want to thank our sponsors, RepairPal. RepairPal is the key that unlocks new business for your auto repair shop. Find out more at RepairPal.com forward slash shops. Well, hi, Malin. Good morning. Thank you for being with me today. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to improve the industry. So we met for the first time a couple of years ago in Vegas. We were there for Apex and SEMA and we had breakfast and we got to hear your story. And that story, it made a pretty big impact on me and got me to thinking about things in my business that I think every business owner should be thinking about. And that's what I really want to talk to you about today. The idea of having things in place in case an emergency happens. And that emergency could be death. It could be incapacitation of some kind. But you have a story that makes this something that you're passionate about. It's one of those things that we, especially us men, we think we're invincible. And we don't ever think about what I call catastrophic failure. December 30th of 2014, I went for a motorcycle ride with my friends and basically changed my life. I had a stroke while riding my motorcycle, crashed it, did a little damage, seven broken ribs and broken collarbone, put me in the hospital, which was life-saving because while in the hospital being treated for these broken bones, I had a major stroke that actually put me on a ventilator. They told my family I wasn't going to live through the night. And if I did live, I'd be a non-functioning person. And that's a pretty powerful statement. I decided to accept the challenge that doctors had laid down with that statement. And six months later, I went back to work. It was a lot of work. But the real work was while I was in the hospital for these six months, the company grew. Not because of me, but because we had things in place. And this is something that I know that you talk to any shop owner that you're working with about because so many of us don't. Right. So what are some of those things that allowed your company to grow while you were absent? It starts with the people. You have to have good people. Part of surviving something like this is having people that can make decisions and aren't afraid to make decisions because they're going to do things differently. And you have to accept that. It's simple things to some degree, it's having passwords. Um, for example, you know, typical shop owner, log into the bank, all that stuff is in their head. You're not there. Your head's not there. Where is it? And while I was in the hospital, actually the third hospital, my son comes to me, 18 at the time, and goes, Dad, do you have your passwords written down? I said, yes, it's in this file cabinet. It's a red folder. Here's where it is. Without those passwords written down, it would have put a big, big damper in us being able to do business. But it really starts with the people that you trust to do the things that you're probably doing now or think you have to do now. The main thing is work on getting the right staff and training them properly. The staff and the training properly is something that I feel like we've done very well. And there's always room for improvement on that. But, you know, some of the things that, uh, that I've done is to make sure that all of our policies and uh, procedures and our, our standard operating procedures are, are very well documented. And I say I, really my team uh, have been the ones who spearheaded that because I'm, I'm that classic visionary, you know, if you're familiar with the EOS mm -hmm. model, but I have an amazing uh, integrator. Um, and then my wife is a natural integrator as well. They have 
really gone all in on creating all of the standard operating procedures. But then on my side, from like the financial side and everything, we had all of the procedures of how we do the work that we do for our clients documented, but I didn't have the procedures documented of how do you, how do you run this business from a a financial standpoint? So getting everything in one place down to, you know, letting people know what the, the legal structure of the business is, who our attorneys are, who our bankers are, who you talk to in certain situations, where insurance policies are located, a master password for my password, the password keeper that I use, which, you know, we go digital now, you know, getting all of that in place. And it's been a job. But one of the things that I realized is I had everything in place if something were to happen to me and Kim and thinking that, okay, JR, my integrator is there. But then I realized we're in a car with JR very often together. We're in a plane flying to this event together. What would happen if something happened to all three of us? Right. So having to go even deeper in that to make sure that I have things like power of attorney in place for a good friend of mine to be able to allow my team to manage, you know, to still have money flowing and, and that sort of thing. It's interesting. You know, big corporations say the president, vice president can't fly together. They can't travel together for that very reason, right? Mm-hmm. But as small businesses, we never think about that. But it is a real possibility. And so, you know, kind of the chain of command, if you will, of you've handled it for yourself and you've handled it for Kim. But what if that key person in your shop isn't there? Who steps into their role? You know, the shop foreman, the lead technician. I used to do temporary service writing. So I'd come in and run a shop for a week at a time. And I started a document that was basically what I need to know to run your shop. For example, you know who you order parts from. I don't. Does your staff know that? When's payday? Who does payroll? Who has keys to the shop? Who's your sublet vendors? Who's your bank? Who's your attorney? Who's your insurance person? We just don't think about that because we plan on being there every day. Mm-hmm. So passwords are important, but so is all the other minutia of little information. What I tell clients all the time is I'm working with Brian and Kim and, and Brian has that catastrophic failure, whatever it is. Well, you got to understand, and this is what I didn't learn until after I got out of the hospital the effect it has on your family. Kim's got to take care of you. She's got to take care of the business, the family, all of those things. She's not going to go to work and run the shop, probably. She's got too many other things. What I tell my clients is, if something happens, call me first. Mm -hmm. Maybe after 911, but call me. Because I can get on a plane and I can come run your business if you have this information I need. Because that business is going to pay for everything, right? It's, It's... part of our income. It's part of our livelihood. And we don't think about if you can't go to work and Kim can't go to work or your lead person can't go to work, who's going to run that business? Where do they get the information? Where do they get the knowledge of how do we do this? And, and this happened. We had, we had a shop owner. We actually fired him. He was a technician. We fired him because he was grumpy. He was burnt out. So we, we hired a technician and we sent him home. His wife ran the front office. She was a service writer and he'd been remodeling his house for about 25 years. Because he never had time. Yeah. So we said, go home, remodel house. So he did. He worked on his house for about three or four months, got up one morning, had a bowl of cereal in the kitchen, put it in the sink, turned around and died. Well, we're okay. We have technicians. His wife knows how to run the business, right? The business continues. Because of the stress of his passing away and all the things that were going on, she ended up in the hospital. Basically, you know, the layman's term is a nervous breakdown. Well, none of the technicians even knew how to get into the software. 
And so they called me. One of my guys went and ran the company for a while. I had other shop owners come in and run the company for a while. I had one guy write service remotely for them because they didn't have these things in place. And ultimately what happened was they lost the business. But one of the things that happened was we were taking money in. Nobody batched out the credit card machine. It wasn't in the front of our mind. And the accountant called me and said, hey, we haven't had a credit card deposit quite a while. They didn't have the process to batch it out, written down. It took three hours for us to figure out who to call, how to do that. And when we batched out the credit card machine, it was about $40,000. And they didn't even know it needed to happen. Nobody did. Not everybody has an automatic batch out at the end of the day. Yeah. So it's the simplest things that we forget about. We might cover the big things. I have a will, I have a trust, but the day-to-day operational things, how do you get in the alarm? What's the secret bat code for the alarm, right? Mm-hmm. That's the stuff that we forget about because we're just doing it automatically as we walk in the door. That's a major consideration, all the, the little things. You know, it amazes me that people are so afraid to talk about death. It's as much a part of life as being born. You know, it's, it's one of those things that is going to happen to every one of us, but it is that thing that we have no idea when it's going to happen. Right. I've started having those conversations with people before and they're like, oh, I don't want to talk about that, but it's irresponsible to not talk about it. Right. I've had people say things before, like, well, I'm going to be dead. So, you know, it's not going to affect me. The business we've built, the team that we have in place, the clients that are depending on us to serve them, you know, all of the families that can be affected. And just because I die or I and Kim die doesn't mean that every single one of their lives should be interrupted like that. There's going to be enough of an interruption just because the, you know, the death happened, but it's irresponsible. And there's a lack of integrity in my opinion, by not making sure that the business is going to carry on and everybody's lives are going to be affected as little as possible in the event that something like that happens. That's a very true statement because they depend on you for an income. And it shouldn't disappear because you do. We mentioned the word death, but it's more likely you don't become incapacitated. Mm -hmm. You know, what happened to me? You're going to have a stroke. You're going to have a heart attack. You're going to have not necessarily the worst thing that could happen, which is death, but it's going to be something where you can't do the things you need to do. My ex-wife came to me while I was in the hospital and, and she said, my biggest fear came true. Now, I have no clue. I'm, I'm very foggy in the brain because of the stroke. So a lot of this was very, I don't understand what you're talking about. And she goes, my biggest fear happened. And I had to ask, what is that? And we'd been married 37 years. So I asked, what, what is your biggest fear? She goes, I'm responsible for a company I know nothing about. The situation at my house was she has her own career. So she knows what I do. She doesn't know who our clients are. She doesn't know you know, who owes us money or who we owe money to in the company side. And she says, I'm responsible for a company I know nothing about. That's why the people are so important. She's making all the medical decisions for me. She's making the household decisions. And by the way, while I was in the hospital, we're paying for a wedding for my daughter. So it had not had these people in place and process in place. I wouldn't have been able to pay for a wedding. Her wedding was nine months after this happened to me. So it wasn't like I had years to make this up. It was, it was happening. She says, I'm making all the medical decisions. I'm making the household decisions. I'm making the kids decisions. Fortunately, both my kids were a little older at the time, obviously. 
but she's also running a million dollar dental business. It never dawned on me the, the burden that, that me not being able to do my job was going to put on her and the extra stress. And I'll be honest with you, Brian, that's my biggest regret of what I put her through and what I put the family through. The fear and the unknown. Is he going to come back? Is he going to be a, a person again? You got to really stop thinking of yourself. I think it's very selfish to think that, hey, I'm dead. It doesn't matter. Because you've probably created a lifetime of stress for them if you don't do this. So don't do it for yourself. Do it for your family first. Do it for your employees second, because they depend on you for a living. Do it for your families, your employees' families, and then your customers. I think it's very selfish to say, it doesn't matter, I'm not going to be around. I love talking about sponsors of the podcast who have already worked with and who have used before. So today, I'm super excited to talk to you about RepairPal, which, if you didn't know, will introduce your shop to new customers through RepairPal.com, the largest site for auto repair, and through the recommendation of their partners like USAA, CarMax, and Consumer Reports. Our shop was in RepairPal's certified network, and it was great for getting new customers who were looking for more than just oil changes. The average RepairPal customer spends over $600 on their first visit. I loved it, especially because we all know that consumers still mistrust repair shops. But the millions of customers that visit RepairPal.com monthly, they trust RepairPal certified shops for their high quality and great service. And there's no fear about being overcharged. So we were able to just focus on the repair. I highly recommend you check them out. It's the way to grow your business. Go to RepairPal.com forward slash shops, get one month of service free, and save $150 off certification. I know a, a doctor right now, he has a very specialized practice. And I, uh, I went to him for, uh, it's, it's actually just a, uh, an injection that they give you that really helps with arthritis and, and stuff like that. He's the only person that does it. He has two clinics, and basically he goes back and forth between those two clinics. When I was there, I saw pictures of his, his airplane on the wall and everything. And, you know, I'm looking at that and I'm talking to him and I'm asking, I just, I just asked him, I said, Hey, you know, what, what's the, the plan for this? If anything were to ever happen to you, because I'm looking at the airplane, you know, the picture of the airplane on the wall. And I have a dream of having my private pilot's license one day, but I know of many cases of private pilots that they go down in the plane. Right. Well, guess what happened about two months ago? Oh my goodness. He went down in the plane. He is the only doctor in the world that does this procedure. He has two clinics. When you walk in these clinics, they were like machines. The people that they were putting in and out of there and the people that have come to depend on that, that injection that he gives them within all of the people that are working in those clinics. And this is something where I, I personally, and I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not him. I don't know the, the ins and outs, but I personally believe that fear of someone stealing how to make this concoction that he's giving people, you know, has kept him from teaching other people right. how to do it. But now everything has come to a complete stop. He is alive. He lived through the plane crash, but the clinics are shut down. This has been months now. And that's something that could have been avoided. Right. And I don't ever want that to happen to, to my team. And, and I, you know, I know that that's something that was terrible that you, that you had to go through, but you have a gift to give to the world now, you know, to be able to, to tell people that this is something you need to be planning for. In the hospital, you know, my wife came to me one night and she stuck her finger in my face and you know, you're in trouble when they do that, right? Yeah. You're in deep trouble. 
And she says, you know, you were given a gift. And again, I, my smart aleck answer was going to be, yes, honey, you. But I knew that was the wrong one. So I didn't say anything. I just looked at her and said, I'm sorry. I, I don't understand. The big stroke happened January 2nd. And we're into February. And I don't know I've had a stroke. I knew I crashed the motorcycle, but I don't know I've had a stroke because she didn't tell me. She didn't want me to be stressed about that. I kind of figured that something else happened because broken bones, you don't end up in three different hospitals, but I don't know that. And so she says, you know, you were given a gift. And I, I had to ask her, what are you talking about? I'm sorry. I don't understand. She goes, your ability to talk to people and stand up in front of whatever size group of people it is. And you're very good at it. And you motivate and inspire people was a gift you were given. And then she said, it wasn't taken away from you. No clue what that meant at that point. She says, so you need to figure out what the hell you're supposed to do with it. And then she left, said, okay, I'll see you tomorrow. I wasn't sleeping at night. It was too painful with the broken bones and hospitals aren't good for rest anyway. And so she left and I, I was actually sleeping by on the little table they feed you on, you know, I'd wad up a pillow, put on it and just put my head down on it. And that started what I call the 12 hour conversation with God through this conversation that lasted the entire night was, why do I have this gift of being able to talk to people? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Cause at, at a young age, I never wanted to be a public speaker, right? This is a job I never wanted, but I was destined for it. I realized right then that everybody I've met in my life was part of shaping me to be this. And so because I teach sales, I have to negotiate with God, right? That's just part of what sales is. So I start this conversation with God. It was like, okay, God, you got my attention. Next time you need my attention, let's do it with less pain. Okay. Sure. But I get it. What do you want me to do? Why am I still here? And again, I didn't know I had a stroke. I'm just assuming some things. The negotiation was, negotiation was one of my good friends who was on the motorcycle ride with me. His wife fell and shattered her shoulder, devastated her life. To this day, this has been almost 10 years. She has not healed. Wow. Lots of pain. And, you know, with lots of pain goes the pain medication addiction. And there's, I mean, there's issues. And I said, if you could help Jody get some relief from the pain so she can sleep and rest and heal, that'd be great. If you could remove this medical device from me, I had a de device on me that was causing me excruciating pain. It was more painful than all of the broken bones. If you could give me some relief of the pain, I don't want to be pain-free because pain is part of the lesson, right? I'll do whatever you want, wherever you want me to do it. Maybe you don't know, but when you do, you tell me I'm hundred percent, but I need these two things. I need her to have some relief. I would like some relief and I'll do whatever you want me to do. And this was just a mantra I repeated for 12 hours. So when I got up, kind of came to in the morning because I didn't really sleep. The nurses were bringing coffee in and getting us ready for the day. I'm drenched in sweat. I mean, I've been working hard for these 12 hours. And I sit back in the bed and a nurse comes in and she goes, it's your lucky day. I said, you're sending me home. She goes, almost that lucky. I said, tell me what is almost as good as going home? Because that was my question to them every day. Can I go home? Can I go home? And she goes, we're going to take this device off of you. Brian, 30 minutes, I'm pain-free. 100% pain-free. And I remember laying back in the, in the bed, exhausted, looking at the ceiling, going, I guess we have a deal. Yeah. So let me know when you decide. I didn't have a phone and the only paper and pencil I was allowed 
Remember in kindergarten when you had to make your letters above the center dotted line and back down and you draw boxes? I'm doing this. That's therapy for me to make my brain work. And so I didn't have anything to write stuff down on. But all this downtime was driving me crazy. So I wrote this class in the back of my head. I didn't tell anybody I wrote it. Several weeks later, I go home. To this day, I can't tell you how long I was in each hospital because I don't have any memory of it. I'm home. It's now first part of March. I have physical therapy at home. I've been told to stay in the house. Don't go anywhere. I'm walking for therapy. My phone rings. Now I get to have my cell phone. I'm home. I had called the associations that I speak with and said, hey, I'm, I'm getting better. You know, don't forget about me. The phone rings and it's an association. They said, hey, we think what happened to you and how your company survived would be a good lesson for our membership. Would you mind talking about it? I said, not a problem. I've already written the class in my head. I just haven't put it, putting it down. And I said, when? He goes, we need you to be in Las Vegas in August. I'll be there. I have no clue if I can do that or not, but I committed, right? Yeah. Hang up the phone. Rings a few minutes later. It's another association. Same statement, same question. Yeah, when? About two weeks after the first event I committed to in Arizona. I'll be there. Hung the phone up. I'm thinking, this is kind of cool. God giving you his answer. Well, the third time the phone rings, it's the Napa Business Development Group in Kansas. Same thing. We think what happened would be a good lesson. Will you come talk about it? Absolutely. I laid down in the bed. I looked up and said, I guess I know what I'm supposed to talk about now. As they say, here's your sign. Yep. My wife got home from work and I go, I got good news and bad news. She goes, what's the, what's the good news? I said, people are calling me, asking me to go back to work. And my recovery was driven by two very, very important things to me. To go back to work and do what I love to do and to walk my daughter up the aisle and dance with her at her wedding. That was my focal point. I didn't care about anything else. Yeah. The wedding was by far the most important, but I wanted to go back to work. And so she knew that. She says, hey, that's great. When? I said, well, I'm going to Arizona on this date. I'm going to Las Vegas on this date. I'm going to Kansas City on this date. And she looks at me and goes, what's the bad news? I said, I committed to all of them. She goes, don't you think you ought to ask your doctor if you can even travel? And that's when the light bulb went off. And I was like, that's probably a good thing to ask, right? And he said, do you want to go to those places? I said, yeah. He goes, then go. Just don't wear yourself out. You need your rest. Since that day, I've given this, this conversation to rotary clubs, to women's groups, to choirs, to anybody that I think will benefit from it. God has put people in front of me because they were supposed to hear my story. I'm sitting at an airport. I'm sitting at Burbank. I'm flying to Arizona for an event. And a, a guy and a young lady in a wheelchair comes up to me. And I'm sitting at the end seat. And I got up. And at that time, I was on a cane. So during my recovery, I went from being bedridden to a wheelchair, to a walker, to a cane. So at that point in time, I was still on the cane. And I got up and said, here, take this seat because that way you can park your wheelchair right here. The young lady's in the wheelchair. She goes to the restroom and I'm talking to, it turns out to be her brother. She has cerebral palsy, but she had a seizure while driving and got T-boned in an intersection that put her in the wheelchair. She's paraplegic now. And he's telling me she's struggling with therapy. She's struggling with the mental attitude. And, and so we just got to talking. I said, well, I went through something not quite as bad as that. I was in a wheelchair for a while. You know, I kind of told my story 
And she had come back and we were chit-chatting. He introduced me to her. And I, I said, you know, let me tell you my philosophy of physical therapy because it's not easy to recover. I said, I just did one more thing. Of everything they asked me to do, I just did one more. If they said, take five steps, I took six. If they said, lift this weight for five times, I did six. And I just did one more every time they asked me to do it. And that greatly increased my recovery time. So I said, try this philosophy. And I said, you got to have a good mental attitude. Therapy isn't going to get you well, your brain well. So you got to want to get well. And I told her about my, my drive to get well as my daughter and to do, go back to work. And we chit-chatted. We're on the same airplane. We're both going to Phoenix, but because she's in a wheelchair, she sat in a different part of the plane. I go do the event. I'm five days there. I'm leaving to go home. I'm standing in line to get ready to get on the plane. Guess who rolls up next to me? Yeah. It's Kurt. them. Yeah. And she goes to the restroom again. And while she's gone, he goes, I don't know what you said to her. He said, but thank you. Her attitude's been better. She's been wanting to do therapy. I don't know what you said, but it hit home. Thank you. And that was another reinforcement that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And I gave her my card. I said, if you ever need to just talk to somebody. And I didn't give her my work number. I gave her my cell phone number. And I said, you can call me anytime because what you're going through is difficult. And most, the other people don't understand it because it's so much of it's mental. I've done that with several people all over the country. There's just random strangers come up to me. We enter in a conversation and I feel I'm able to share my story and help them in some manner. And so crashing a motorcycle, having a stroke, that wasn't good stuff. But the result of that made me a better person. So don't just think about death. Think about if you're incapacitated, if your mental function isn't there. And not, again, not about yourself, but all those people depend on you. So if you think about that, Brian, how many people's lives depend upon you in maybe a circle of influence, you know, your employees for both companies, their families, your vendors, your customers. I mean, it's in the thousands sometimes. Yeah. And by not being prepared, you're selfish, you know, and if you have a partner, that could be even worse because if you have a partner, you're now partners with their spouse, maybe, mm-hmm. and they don't know anything about the company because maybe they're not as involved as they might be. Yeah. So you really have to plan this out. And, and the, I'm going to tell you this. I don't care if you've been in business 50 years or five minutes. This needs to be a priority. Get your stuff together. I have a client, longtime client. My little worksheet of what I need to run your business is 28, 29 double-sided pages. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of information. And I'll be more than happy to share it with all listeners if they want. So I gave it to a, a shop owner and it takes time to fill, fill it out. It's not yes, no's, mm-hmm. right? And so I'm in his shop and he goes, hey, he's very proud of himself. You can see this. Hey, I filled out that questionnaire and it's, it's ready to go. And I said, great. His name is Ted. I said, Ted, where is it? And he points to the safe underneath his desk and goes, it's right there in that safe. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's great, Ted. Who can get in the safe? And you could see his face just <laughs> fell and he goes, me? And I said, Ted, take a copy of that. Give it to your wife. Give it to your son. Put it on a flash drive. Because if your wife calls me and says, Malin, I need you. I need that book. And if I have to break in your safe, it just puts it that far behind of taking care of your family and your customers. Yeah. So we kind of think about this the wrong way. We don't want to think about the bad news, like you said, death. But reality is 
you becoming incapacitated is far probably greater than death. The selfishness part of it is we got to get over and, and get this information down. There was something you said there about how, you know, well, in the case that something happens to your business partner, you could be now partners with their spouse who knows nothing about the business. And that's one of the things that I've talked to some people about that I think is so important as well, because we tend to, in, you know, when we're creating a will, we tend to just pass things to the next person. And, you know, in our case, well, Kim is very involved in the business. So, you know, if something happened to just me, then honestly, this is a pet case scenario because, you know, she and, and JR can run the business and there's no issues there at all from a legal standpoint or anything. But if something happened to me and Kim, or especially me, Kim and JR, well, if something happens to me and Kim, my son gets some ownership of the business. If something happened to me, Kim and JR, then he would get all of it. But it's so important that you don't just pass it on to someone who, who does not know anything about the business. In his case, he would get ownership of it. And I've left him detailed advice about this is what should happen because he has no, you know, he's a cadet at West Point right now. He will be in the army for years after that. He can't run the business. Right. Even if he had the time to do it, he doesn't have the knowledge to do it. He could learn that, but that's not the best thing to do on the job training. I don't want to leave my team and my clients at his mercy, you know, right. that he gets it right. So you have to think about who is going to take ownership in, in that case. And, you know, in, in the case of mine, I have my integrator who is going to, you know, fill, fill that role. And then, you know, I've given some advice to my son when it comes to, to that as well. And I don't want to get too deep into that. And here it's going to be something that's different for, for each person, but don't just leave the, the business to the next person in line. Make right. sure that someone can carry it on the way that it should be. And there's something else you got to take in consideration because as that business changes ownership, there may be some tax liabilities. Mm -hmm. So you have to explore those and go, what's the less penalized way of passing this on? For example, in your integrator, have we taught him business? You know, we're at a convention, right? Is he going to business owner classes so he understands the ownership role? He may not be in it right now, but we need him to be up to speed. Your son's obviously intelligent. Mm -hmm. You know, he's made it through West Point. That's a big deal. But the knowledge that the government has taught him, the army has taught him, doesn't always transcribe to small business. Right. So it's like, you need to go on this learning curve, even if it's just general knowledge of how an automotive repair shop runs. So if something worst case happens, he can at least have an overall picture of how it operates. Mm -hmm. That's part of our problem in a lot of succession planning. In fact, I, I'm working with a client right now. He has worked in the business since he was five years old. He's 54 years old now. Mom and dad, they own the property, which adds another level of complexity to this and the business. And for 54 years, he's been told you're going to get the business. The business is yours. There's a sister involved. So the property goes to both of them. He's going to get the business, but he's 55 years old, maybe 60 years old when this happens, because their parents, you know, the family tree lives a long time. He goes, I don't know if I want the business when I'm 65 years old. Mm -hmm. I want to retire. But all these years, and, and this is the conversation I had with him. It's kind of, you know, in the past, I said, 
when you were 30, you guys should have made a plan that said at this age, this is going to happen and these are going to transfer. And that's where we, as business owners, we don't think about far enough into the future. If you're a five-day-old business, you need to be thinking 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years in advance. And I tell people all the time, you need to have exit plan. The day, not just that, oh, I want to retire in 2027. I'm going to retire on January 1st of 2027. And so from today to that day, everything I do is about preparing the business for me to retire. And what you're talking about of the succession planning is the same thing. If you don't have an exit day, you don't prepare the business for succession. And then something catastrophic happens. It just goes to hell in a handbasket because of the grief and the, the problems. It was kind of interesting. I, I thought I had done a good job at getting things ready. I had password secured list. I had a lot of things done. My wife has always been able to sign checks on the business, right? I'm smart enough to think I'm not the only person should be able to sign checks. But in all this stress of taking care of me, the guys needed a check. I mean, we don't write very many checks anymore, but they needed one. Nobody could sign it. She totally forgot about this. So my son comes to me in the hospital and he goes, hey, dad, the guys needed a check. So I forged your name on the check. <laughs> and I said, what? He goes, I signed the check. Did the bank take it? Yeah. He goes, I can, I can make your signature look really good. And I said, is that why I got no notes home from high school? <laughs> and he goes, no comment. His signature looks nothing like mine. So now I'm irritated at the bank for taking it. But it made me realize, why didn't she sign the check? So I asked her, I said, you know, you can sign checks. She goes, I've, I've never signed a check. I didn't even cross my mind that I could. Yeah. And to me, that's, that's a little thing, an assumption that I made. It wasn't written down. You know, here are the people who can sign checks. So I told my son, again, remember, he's 18 years old. I said, Chase, I appreciate you taking the initiative to do what you needed to do. That, that's the way I raised you. Thank you. Don't ever do that again. And when I got out of the hospital and we got things straightened out, I took him to the bank and he's now an authorized signer on the account because stuff like that happens. But who thinks about that? Yeah. Because reality is when I, when I left town that morning to go on a motorcycle ride, I was expecting to go to work the next day, mm -hmm. not six months later yeah, and not at a reduced capacity. You, you need to not only think about it yourself, but you need to include your spouse and your family and your key employees about, you know, like you said, here's the plan. I've done everything I can do. For example, if I showed up at your business, I sh there should be an SOP on how to open the store in the morning, how to turn the alarm off. And if the alarm goes off, who do I call? What's the bat code? how to batch out the credit card machine. Where do you bank? Do you have a banker? You know, somebody that knows you, insurance people. Most of us are so busy in our industry of getting to fix the car and making it till tomorrow that to think five, 10, 15 years down the road or that something could happen to you, it's a pretty foreign thought process. Yeah. But here's the other side, all right? So we've been kind of talking about the, the shop owner, right? Let's take that shop owner and the wife dies. Maybe she's not involved in the business or maybe worse than her dying cancer. Mm -hmm. Now the shop owner's got to do what? Leave the business and take care of her. Kind of the reverse effect of what we've been kind of talking about. Yeah. Would that impact the business? Yeah, absolutely. So we need to plan for that also. Or what if a child gets sick? 
So if you called me up, said, Brian, I think I'm, I would like to get into coaching and, you know, let's, let's talk about how to make my business better. I'm going to ask you this question. Can you leave your business for 30 days and have nothing change in it? And if the answer is no, and typically here's the answer. Oh no, man. As soon as I leave sales, drop in the toilet, nobody does anything. Well, then that's our first thing we got to fix. Yeah. And that could take a while. If you can't leave your business for 30 day vacation or a week long vacation or two day vacation. You've got a problem. Yes. Yeah. And if you're incapacitated, it's a worse problem because it's a longer term. Mm -hmm. But vacation is one thing. Sickness, illness, death, stress levels for everybody concerned go up, including your employees. Yeah. And that was an epiphany. I didn't realize this, I don't know, probably till July or August. So we're talking eight months after this. This was harder on my family than it was me. Yep. I suffered the physical pain. And I suffered through the recovery to some degree, but so did they. Because in my case, as, as my wife told me, your, your filters changed because of the brain damage. I was more emotional. I got angry, angry quicker. So they had to learn how to deal with me as a different person almost. And any illness will do that to you. I, I was sitting there one day thinking, you know, this was much harder on them. Can you imagine your daughter being told your dad's not going to live nine months before her wedding. I never thought of that. I was being very selfish. And after I realized that I went to every individual and I said, I'm sorry. I didn't realize what this did to you. I was worried about me. I think that's the moral of the story. Stop worrying about you. Worry about the big picture of what's going to happen to the business, your family, even your friends. As you said, which I love, is what about my clients? Because they're part of your family too, just kind of an extended family. Mm -hmm. And they come to depend upon you and Kim to be there and everybody at the shop to be there. What happens if you're not there and the shop closes? Your warranty's worthless and they have to go find somebody else. So this is, this is that ripple effect, right? The pebble falls in the water and the ripples go far out. To be honest with you, I think... You should have to do this to be in business. To get your business license, you need to have a succession planning, you know, in place and you need to have things in place so that your business outlives you. Yeah. So you've got this 29 page. Something like that. Document. Yeah. We're going to make sure that we have that in the show notes about how to, how to access that. Right. But then other things people should be, they should be talking to their attorney. Gosh, if you don't have a will, you've got to have a will. Right. And so many people don't have a will insurance policies, uh, so many things that you need to think about. If you're not doing that, you're being irresponsible. You're being selfish. Yes. To our listeners, I hope that, you know, hearing Malin's story has opened your, your eyes to this and has really made you realize how important this is. If, uh, if someone wants to get in touch with you, how would they do that? The easiest way is email. It's Malin, M-A-Y-L-A-N at E-S-I seminars.com. And if you, if you want shop workbook, shoot me an email, just ask me for it. I'll make it available to Brian also. He can share it with whoever. There's also, there's, there's planners out there for insurance needs. And not only do you need a will, but in most cases you need a trust. My mom passed away. She had a will. She never signed it. She yeah. didn't have a lot. She didn't have a business. She had the condo she lived in. Mm -hmm. And every state's different, but we had to go through probate because we didn't have a will. It cost us $17,000 to go through probate. My brother and I 
sole heirs, no argument. We were 100% behind what we needed to do. But for everything we had to do, we had to go through court to do it. So she had, she didn't drive. She had a tempo, right? <laughs> really old tempo. For us to sell that car, $250 in attorney fees for him to go to court to get the court's permission for us to sell a car for $200. Yeah. Depending on your assets. So if you own your own property, that adds a level of complexity. You need a real estate attorney. You need a will. You need a trust. And they need to be fully funded, as they call it, everything in the trust. Mm-hmm. You, need, you need a good attorney for that. A real estate attorney. You need the insurances. If you're partners, who takes insurance out on who? You need a buy-sell agreement so that if you die and I'm going to buy your shares from your heirs, it's a fixed price instead of them going, well, I can get rich here. So there's just so many intricacies to this. And most of our lives are pretty complex. And that's why you need to talk to these professionals and play the what if scenario. What if I die? What if my wife dies? What if we both die? Mm-hmm. What, what happens to the kids? It's great to leave this to the kids, right? But if they get a half a million dollar tax bill out of it, they may not be able to keep it. Yeah, that's the piece I have not thought about until you said it. I need to look at the tax implications on the way that we have things set up. But then conversations also are so important because you could go through the process of doing all of these things, but people need to know that they've been done. They need to know what the expectations are within certain events. And then conversations with your vendors. You know, if you're incapacitated, your vendors need to know that your team can continue putting things on your accounts and, you know, all of these different things. So just so much to think about. It, it's interesting. You're talking about conversations. I, my daughter lives in Denver with the grandkids. So I flew into Denver and her and my grandson came and picked me up at the airport and we're, we're driving back to their house. It's about a 40 minute drive. And she turns to me and says, dad, we need to have a serious conversation. You know, that's never good. <laughs> and I said, okay, honey, what, what? She goes, you went through a terrible thing. But you know, I don't really know what your final wishes are. And he's like, what do you mean? And she goes, well, where do you want to be buried? What do you, what do you want? You know? And it's like, wow, I've went through this terrible thing. I think about this all the time and I've never done the most basic thing was, here's my final wishes. This is what I want to have happen. Mm-hmm. And I own a company just like you do. What's going to happen to the company? Yeah. Well, we don't think we need to talk about that stuff until we're in our seventies. Well, that's a long ways for you. That ain't that far for me. <laughs> but I mean. People of all ages die every day. It's kind of funny. You know, she's 37. She's got two kids now. She's been married for eight years before she had any kids. I went to visit her one time and she goes, dad, if something happens to me in Preston, the kids are going to go to this person. Why not me? It was my first thought, right? Why not me? Well, she knows that I'm not in a position to have small children again, right? You know, the kids are are taken care of and it goes, this person's going to be their guardians and we have an account funded so they'll have money, you know, to survive off of. They've put all of this stuff down. You know, it's in writing, like you're talking about. They've talked to the attorneys. It's all in writing. They've notified people. And it's like, I'm so proud of you because yeah. that's such a grown-up thing to do. Yeah. And then it was like, wait, she is grown up because she's still my little girl to me. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest with you, when I had kids, I had no clue of this. When we started doing this, when Kim and I started working on this, it, it just seemed like a a task to me. It was this overwhelming thing that I needed to get done. But then 
once it's done, and, and I guess it's never really done no. all the way. This is something that you have to continue to, you know, has to evolve over time. But once that initial process was to the point where I could be like, okay, if something happened, my team is, is going to be, they're going to be good enough. There may still be some things here and there that they have to figure out, but for the most part, they're, they're going to be good. So much comfort came to me in knowing that that stuff was in place. Like it's so worth it to, to do this and get it done. And you're a hundred percent correct. It's never done. And in fact, what I tell clients is you need to, you need to have a sit down review once a year because what, what changes in a year? A lot. Right. You know, in that year you bought another building or you, you bought income property or your staff doubled in size. Maybe you start banking with a different bank. Exactly. You're doing that. You don't think I need to go update. Just the simplest changing vendors. Yeah. Or changing a password, which you have to do on a lot of software on a regular basis, yeah. right? It's not stagnant. This is a dynamic thing. It changes. You know, just like we're approaching the first of the year, I have a lot of clients at the beginning of the year, you go over your employee manual again, your illness injury prevention program, your hazardous waste program. You go through all the, the I call it the technical part of owning a business. But you also should have that plan of, let's go over a succession plan and then let's plan 2024 out. You'll like this, a marketing plan for the whole year, right? Of yeah. what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. So it's already, because most people panic market. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got to do something and they waste money. But everything we do is a panic. Oh no, car count's low. Let's send something out. Mm -hmm. That's not the, the time to do it. Or, oh no, I bought this piece of property now, finally. And we don't think about tomorrow could be the last day for you. And what burden do we leave our family of having a piece of real estate that isn't carefully accounted for? Yeah. And I think as our responsibility as leaders and owners is you should have a calendar and not January 1st, but about October 1st, it should be plan next year, set goals, review succession plan, review my employees. Because you're going to have a couple months to get it done. And then January 1st, it's kind of like, okay, clean slate. Let's, let's start over. Here's the new rules. Here's the new processes. But it's everything, including your personal life. Because the succession planning is just not, not about business. It's about family stuff too. Yeah. I'm very appreciative that my daughter bridged that subject with me. Because you're right. Nobody wants to talk about it. Yeah. And we need to. We yep. need to have some serious conversations. As a coach... That's our job to bring that up and to make them think about it. But no matter how hard I try, I can't make them. They need to take the initiative to have a legacy, as I call it, to leave their family something that will provide for them. I'm very passionate about that because of what I went through. Easy to lose sight of the big picture because we're too busy fighting the day-to-day -day battles. Mm -hmm. Where I need to be next, where I need to go do this, what I need to do here. And to think five years down the road, you know, people laugh at me. I was at the front desk here at this show and they said, are you coming back next year? And I said, well, I'm going to tell you the same thing. I tell every show I speak at, I've invited myself back, whether you want me or not. Do you have the dates for next year? Well, it's going to be the end of September. I said, that's not a date. Give me the dates. Cause I want to put it in my calendar and my calendar goes through 2028. I'm carrying a paper calendar through 2028 because when you know what happens at these events, somebody runs into you and goes, Hey, could you go do this 2026? Mm -hmm. Let me pencil that in. We'll talk more about it as we get closer. 
but most the average person doesn't live their life more than a week at a time. Yeah, I certainly don't go out past a year. Yeah. We need to stop living moment to moment or day to day. And we need to stop living paycheck to paycheck. And we need, we need to build businesses so our employees don't live day to day or paycheck to paycheck either. And that's part of our legacy, right? That's what we're talking about is planning the future. So even after you're gone, your employees are going to go, thank goodness I worked for Brian. He was the right person because look what he's given me the chance to continue, even though he's not here today. Yeah. This is a valuable conversation to have. And I appreciate you bringing it up. I know we, you know, we were talking on Facebook a little bit about it and, and, um, I was just, you know, sharing again, my little story and it was yep. like, do you want to talk about it? Oh no, I don't like to talk at all. <laughs> but <laughs> well, again, this is, this to me, this is part of my mission. This is why I'm still alive. Yeah. Well, we, you know, I mean, this is the auto repair marketing podcast. We're normally talking about marketing, but this is absolutely the most powerful conversation that's absolutely that, that has ever happened on this episode. It's more, it's the most valuable one and thank you, know, you in, in the, uh, in the grand scheme of things, you know, if people take something from this and they actually go put it into place because you can listen to it. You can think about it. You can want it all you want until you actually go out and do this. It doesn't matter. The value that you've brought today is beyond anything else they've ever heard on here. Let, let me tell you the second part of the story. Okay. Yeah. So went through recovered, walked my daughter up the side of a mountain in Colorado, got her married, right? Everything good about seven years ago. So it's been 10 years since the accident, about seven years ago, I had to get a divorce because of the stress that this put on our marriage, 42 years at that time. So that's the far reaching problem of these things. You know, we don't think about that. Yeah. So this had a ripple effect and it has been there for 10 years. You don't know how this is going to affect you or your family until you have it happen. And without any planning, it'll be far worse, far worse. Yeah. So. You know, I appreciate being part of this because I'm very passionate about this message. I truly believe that we need to stop being small businesses in mindset. We need to become big businesses because mm -hmm. I guarantee you, if the president of GM dies tomorrow, that business isn't going to change. Yeah. It'll have more cash flow because they're not paying him, <laughs> <laughs> but the business isn't going to change. And we need to be thinking like that and put some of those things in place mm -hmm. and anything I can do to help any of your listenership, all they need to do is reach out to me. I have plenty of time for the industry. Um, that's why I'm still alive. I truly, truly believe that from the bottom of my heart that I'm supposed to be here today. Well, thank you again for being on here and, uh, and, and telling your story. Uh, thank you again to our sponsors, RepairPal. Uh, again, we are just one of five great podcasts on the Aftermarket Radio Network. You can find them all at aftermarketradionetwork.com. Uh, we hope you'll listen in again next week. And until then, go fill those bays. You've been listening to the Auto Repair Marketing Podcast with Kim and Brian Walker. Follow the podcast on your favorite listening app. Find their emails in the show notes and visit them at shopmarketingpros.com. Let Kim and Brian know what you want discussed because they're all about advancing the aftermarket. <laughs>